This is Christendom, Northern Ireland, lighting brush fires for Christian liberty in the minds of Ulstermen. Hello, this is Nathan. It's Sunday, the 17th of May. Not that days really make a difference any longer. They sort of run into each other. And I thought what I would do is uh, to have a look at First Samuel 8. First Samuel 8. With reflect, with um, application on uh, what we're going through today. So I'm going to re- read the scripture and comment on it. And uh, hopefully we can maybe gain something from it. All right. So verse 5. So all the el- elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel Ramah. And they said to him, You're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us. So far so good. In the law there was a provision for a king. Previously there were uh, elders that that ruled and um, there were judges that ruled. And, you know, a a, a, a king is a judge, ultimately. As we see um, par excellence with Solomon's judgment. But also we see that that's the... That's the means by which um, the guy with the long hair, Absalom, tried to undermine the kingship of his father, David, by by judging in the gate. Okay, so far so good. And now the wheels are going to come off the wagon, such as all the other nations have. Now, that might not seem so much of a problem until you think about your, your biblical history and the culture and so on. What, what was the nature of other kings? The pharaoh was a divine king. Uh, the Moloch, divine king. <laughs> That's a huge problem. They're saying, um, you know, our king, yeah, we need a king. We need a god who's nearer to us. <laughs> this, this, is, uh, this is a very obvious departure from the faith at this stage. But when they said... Give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying. So God is saying, okay, okay, go along with it. Why? It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Huh. Hmm. So in wanting this um, all-powerful... powerful leader, this Moloch-type leader, this Baal-type leader, this Pharaonic-type leader. That was in itself apostasy, apostasy, apostasy. That was apostasy in itself. It was a rejection of God. So they knew about God. They knew that he was king. In the political realm, they're asking for a change in the political realm not some kind of religious realm which is wholly unconnected with the with the political realm no they wanted a change in their political leader but their desire for a different kind of politics was an apostasy from god was a rejection of the kingship of ultimately christ you see so you see the nature of the problem here so the people um Initially, I didn't read out the part of the initial few chapters, a few verses of the chapter, which said, look, there was problems with corruption. 
So the people complain about the corruption. They come to Samuel and said, basically, we want a, a political revolution. And uh, God then makes a comment on their on their desire, and uh, that's Facebook. And they um, and says, look, uh, this is the rejection of me as their king. This is this is a boss to say. Let's read on. As they have done from this day, I brought them out of Egypt. Uh, as they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So a desire to no longer have God as their political ruler. A desire to not have Christ as our king in the political realm is a forsaking of God. But not just that. Forsaking me and serving other gods. So there's no neutral space in which we can say, oh, well, we don't have Christ as king, but, you know, we kind of have this nothing as king, nothing religious anyway, nothing that has any negative reflection on our deep-seated heart relation to the Lord, you know? No. Uh, what the, what does God say? Forsaking me and serving other gods. Wow, this is getting really deep really, really soon. Uh, so they are doing to you. But what does God say? Does God say, right, I'm going to judge them. Uh, I'm going to turn their hearts to me. No. He uh, He's a wise ruler. He's still their king, even though he's rejected. They've, the people have rejected him. He's, now he says, now listen to them, but warn them solemnly. Uh-oh. And let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So God's saying, okay. Okay, they want to have another king. No problem. I'll give them another king, but there are going to be problems in eternity. Oh, there's going to, there are going to be problems on earth. You're going to face problems on earth. Hmm. Because why? Because he will claim God-like prerogatives from the get-go. And that's a problem. The problem is every political order which does not have Christ as king essentially and necessarily must um, arrogate to them to, to, to it, uh, if it's a king, to the person of the king, to the person of the, the Caesar, to the person of the, the state and its governing bodies. I mean, the whole thing can be cut up and sliced different directions. You know, we don't have a king today in any meaningful sense, but we do have this huge apparatus of the state. We have a figurehead. The figurehead might be a prime minister or a Taoiseach, or it could be the fawn of Oku. It could be a president, of course, and so on. But the, the same principle the same principle uh, applies. A king who's not under Christ, a king like the nations, like the Baal nations, like the Pharaoh nations, like the Moloch nations, will arrogate and necessarily arrogate to themselves the right, the divine rights. And anybody who, who tells you that the divine rights of kings is a Christian idea, sadly doesn't know what they're talking about. The only divine rights of kings that there are is the divine, divine right of King Jesus. Let's read on. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. 
He's given, he's given them a warning, just as God told them, called them to do. He will take your sons, oh, and make them serve with his chariots and horses. Now, um, my, I maintain that, I maintain a controversial opinion about the Iraq War. My controversial opinion is that the experts lied. The politicians lied. I'm laughing, but it's not funny. Because, of course, how many hundreds of British servicemen, thousands of American ser- servicemen, not to mention the Iraqi army, not to mention Afghan- Afghanis in the army, Af- civilians and so on. Millions, millions died because of, most notably, the dodgy dossier. This um, expert report, as it was as it was claimed to be, which turned out to be, as I say, dodgy, this uh, dodgy piece of writing. And and so we see that principle at work even in our own days. That's the, the, uh, the king, like other nations, arrogates God-like authority to himself itself, and says, okay, first thing, military, the military. We'll have a standing army, we'll have a military and of course, we'll send our boys off to uh, to war to die for king and country. Whereas the biblical principle, as against that, is the militia. It's the um, uh, to your tents, O Israel, when uh, Rehoboam tries to uh, oppress, uh, bring in oppressive measures, maintain and increase oppressive measures against his own people. Ten tribes in Israel says to your tents, O Israel, I forget this, this is no way, we're off, you know. Which is entirely le- legitimate, so uh, th- there is a decentralized, a, a decentralized political order, uh, a, a mil- military order. Now, interestingly enough, officially, uh, the United Kingdom doesn't have a standing army. There, there's a bill that's brought to Parliament, I don't know how often, every year, every session of Parliament, I don't know. Which or every several years, I just not, I just don't know which. Um, temporarily, creates the uh, I don't know what the wording is, but it kind of it's it's not standing. It's kind of requested and granted, and somehow it isn't. Te- but you know, of course, it is. We do have a standing army. Okay, he will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. Okay, so we have the military military organization. So you have the um, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest. And again, uh, the the king is taking, and the king could represent uh, represents any kind of national government, be it democratic or autocratic or whatever it happens to be. So others will plough his ground. So. The government, the king, is taking away land from the people and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Now, the use of the word chariots here is interesting because that was specifically, if we don't know the law of God, we don't know what's right and wrong, frankly, in these important issues. And and a, and a very um, clear commandment was made that, um, am I recording this? I hope so. Yes, I am. There you go. Very clear commandment of the word of God is that the king is not to gather, uh, not not to gather chariots to himself. The chariots, it is said that the chariots were an offensive weapon. 
So no chariot. I think chariot is the the um, the French word for tanks. Interesting, interestingly enough, as well as shopping trolleys, chariot. I believe. I might be wrong. Who knows? So. Not only is there an aggrandizement of, of, of land to himself within the nation, there's the uh, what goes together with the divine kingship, with this divine state, is an imperialistic move. It's a move to expand his territory. All right. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Not so much of that happening. Uh, no, I guess I don't know. I, I mean, is is that the bread aspect of the bread and circuses of of, of uh, Caesar and modern states? I don't know. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. Now, this is an interesting, very interesting dynamic, which has, I think, direct application today. In that you think to yourself, hmm, I go to the shop. I can't go to the little shops because they're all closed because COVID-19 is more deadly in a small shop, I guess. I don't know. But the big boys, Tesco's in the UK, Walmart in the US, and, uh, you know, the big boys are open. The little guys are shut. So the land gets taken from the people and gets redistributed to those who are in his inner circle, those who are closest to the king. Well... This may literally happen today. I wouldn't doubt it, you know, that it happens on a small scale. But it's, I think, more so now the um, the money printing. If uh, if the economy is worth, let's say, a trillion, and then another trillion are printed, that's uh, the first recipients of the money are those closest to the, to the central state, uh, whether it be uh, contractors, military contractors, subsidised businesses and so on. And if you have a trillion in circulation and a trillion is printed, what happens effectively to the money in your back pocket? Well, effectively, providing all that trillion gets put into circulation and so on, what you have in your back pocket is worth one half of, of what it was worth formerly. So you are late to the party, sadly. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get your $1,200 in, in the US, but... Of course, that $1,200 is worth less than it was before this great economic stimulus. So we see this principle in action, in action even today because hey, it's the Bible. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. So we, we have that um, redistribution of wealth from the um, little people, the ordinary people, to those closest and, uh, you know, it's a phenomenon that's uh, in France, for instance, uh, that Paris gets preferential treatment because it's literally physically closer. So the institutions there uh, get served first before other other areas. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and uh, attendants, a tenth, your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. Mm-hmm. So... Tenth, mm-hmm. well, let's have a look at this. Let's continue. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. I hope you're enjoying the show. 
you can play your part in the CNI movement by sharing this message with your friends, asking questions, sending in your suggestions, and making a one-off or monthly donation at christendomnorthernireland.com. Sounds pretty reasonable, uh, you know. How many of us today would uh, would uh, would welcome an income tax of just ten percent? Poor. That sounds that sounds like a libertarian paradise. Eleven ten percent. My goodness, that sounds that sounds pretty wonderful. You will take a tenth of your flocks and your cells will become will become as slaves. Uh huh. Uh huh. I mean, I don't want to, to, to get into this too much because, hey, I don't know too much about it, but it seems like um, like the monetary policy uh, of the central state, which is, let's just say, intimately connected with the central banks who lend us money to uh, buy our houses. Are, are we? Does the Bible say us something about borrowing money and slavery? Possibly, possibly it says something like, you know, the servant, uh, the, the, uh, the, the debtor is a servant of the creditor, something like that. So again, we see this principle today, but it, it is very interesting that the tyrannical state, as described by uh, Samuel, by God really, to Samuel, the, the definition of a of a tyrannical state, it would seem, is that they take a tenth in, in income tax or or land and so on. How how out of touch are we with with God's desires and, and wants and preferences? Unless we say to ourselves, well, Nathan, God has changed since then. You know, that's the Old Testament. God has moved on. It was an early, you know, phase in his career. I don't really like his early stuff. I like his later stuff. You know, he, he's, he's, he's gained a lot of wisdom. Well, of course, that's blasphemous and horrible. You know, it's just awful to even conceive of that. Hey, this applies to us today. This tells us, this tells us what we are. That we are effectively slaves to the state. Can we leave our house now? And could I, could I just go down and drive to Cork, drive back again and, Stop off, have a fish and chip, whatever. No problem whatsoever. Well, of course we can't. What does that make me? <laughs> what does that make me, you know? What does that make you and me? Can you go to your, your hairdresser and get your hair cut? Well, are you, are you free? Are you, are you free? I, perhaps you're not. I don't want to be too controversial, but perhaps we're not. And that kind of leads on to the solution. Let's just say that uh, that God was right. Let's just say for the sake of argument that, okay, 10% taxation is, is, uh, is, effect, uh, is effectively tyranny. That ex- not having Christ as our king politically explicitly as reflected in um, taxation, as reflected in... Uh, legislation as reflected in all these ways in the ability to seize property 
the right of eminent domain. Perhaps God is right. Perhaps let's open our minds to the fact that, yes, God is actually smarter than we are. Let's open our minds to that and think, well, hang on. We're being told that we're number one slaves and we're number two apostates and we have rejected as Christ our, Christ our King. Does that have any analogue in the, in, the, in the New Testament, you know, if, if we have this, this uh, preference for the New Testament? Well, of course, I mean, we could think of the incidents where apostate Israel said, we will not have this, king, this man to rule over, him, over us. So it's as serious as that. It's as serious as that. So what do we do then? What do, do we? Um, what's the solution? What's the? If we want to really, really get to the nub of things, what's the solution here? Protests, Facebook posts. I love Facebook posts. You know they're great. Memes. Is this going to cut it? Well, I think memes are important. I think uh, posting stuff, sharing information, and so on, is is a good and useful thing in itself. If somebody lies and says, you know. Um, 200 million people are going to die in the UK alone. You know, and they're, they're, or maybe they're just incompetent. Okay, maybe maybe that's the problem. They, they say X number of million people are going to die. Maybe they, they've predicted that again and again. They've made, the, um, over, they've overestimated their predictions again and again and again. It's, it's perfectly right and true and good to point that out. And I think it's, it's extremely useful if, somebody says you know we want to vaccinate people vaccines are the answer well if we just use a little bit of logic we'll say well hang on vaccines have been around for quite some time now for the flu has that cured the flu has that caused any deaths in itself has that increased our overall um, the overall health of older people is life expectancy going up or down of late well, it's heading a bit south you know uh, life expectancy. So we can apply our mind to these things, and and share truth. You know, truth is uh, truth's good. You know, and and it's extremely helpful. But if we really want to get to the heart of the heart of things, we, I think we have to address the core issue behind this oppression. We can't just throw off the oppression and say, "Well, look at us now." The idea is, you know, if only people know that we'll just throw off their shackles and so on. Uh, They'll throw their shackles off and they'll be free men. Ah, oh, come on. You know, Alex Jones, come on. <laughs> but oh, this is the misdiagnose the problem. This is God's, the, our present predicament of high taxation, of not, being, not having free movement and so on. In all of this, the state is God's instrument. For punishing us. For what? We haven't done anything wrong. Come on. We're innocent victims. It's Bill Gates. He wants to kill us all. Mm, mm, not so sure. Not so sure if that's the right narrative here. I'll go. I'll read on. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. Isn't that what we're doing at the moment? Sincere Christians, good Christians who believe the Bible and are concerned about liberty and want to go on a protest and do, you know, do it, do it. But wait a minute, it says, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. 
<clears throat> what? Hang on a second. I want liberty. I'm cra- I'm doing what a good Christian should do. I'm praying to God. Of course we should pray to God, for goodness sake. But the... And the Lord won't answer me? What? What's... That's not right. That can't be in the Bible. For Samuel 8.18, let's... Er, no, we can't erase it out. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then he will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us out and go out before us and fight our battles. Why do you want somebody to fight your battles? Because why do you want somebody to fight your battles for you? It's because you're afraid, isn't it? Um, I think I think that would, that would be it. It's because you're afraid. Um, you want security. So, you know, you've got Egypt to the south. You've got uh, Syria. You've got Assyria. You've got the Hittites. Powerful nations. You're at the crossroads of the world between Africa Asia, Europe's a bit away, you know, but um, you've got Phoenicia, that's close to hand as well. You've got the Philistines, they're closer to hand as well. A nasty bunch, you know. So uh, you want security. But we still haven't got to the, to, the, to the bottom of things here. We still haven't got to the bottom of things. What is, what is the problem at, at its root? If we're like the good people, we're praying to God for... Relief from these terrible kings of the earth. Terrible boys. Absolutely awful. Who, uh, you know, don't give us stuff about our God-given rights, etc., etc., etc. Why would God not listen to us? Why? And what's the solution? Okay. By the way, I mean, I don't pretend to be I'm not speaking ex-cathedra here, even though I am sitting on a chair. I'm not speaking ex-cathedra. Okay. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. When when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, etc. And God says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their saviour. No. But they have rejected me as their spiritual guide. No. But they have rejected me as their bringer of good feelings at uh, during worship time, and I'm I'm not I'm not making fun here. I'm not making fun. And of course, we want to worship God and know His Spirit within us and, and feel His Spirit working in us. But that's not what the Word of God says. God won't answer us in our present crisis. He will not answer us. Why? Because we have rejected Him as King. Like I said before in a previous episode, you can't separate God's kingship from his law. You can't have God as king and say, religion and politics don't mix. (laughs) Listen to my wisdom. My wisdom is, religion and politics don't mix. Well, that's perfectly acceptable and, and, you know, well done. But... It's, it's also apostasy from Christ as king. And it's what's placing us under what has led up to the, to the point that we're in today. So the only way back is, well, we can't kind of storm the gates and, you know, go all brave hearts and you know, be ch- chopping up policemen with kitchen knives or something stupid like that. This isn't the call for revolution, but 
No, 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 no. It, it starts with us as individuals saying, okay, look, I've made a, mis I've made a mistake here. I've, I've followed other people and I've followed my own sinful heart. And, you know, I haven't been trusting God um, for stuff in the public realm. I, I, I have really not liked the idea of Christ being king. It seems somehow medieval, old-fashioned, tyrannical and so on. You know, it starts with our hearts and minds thinking differently, okay, about about our present order, judging it in terms of of God's word and saying, well, hang on, if Christ isn't king in the laws, if Christ isn't king in um, in the in politics, and it doesn't mean church, the church being king, of course, it means Christ being king, then then you know we're we're effectively an apostate cult culture. So it starts with us as individuals believing that Christ is our king and then working towards towards the uh, marching towards the conquest of, 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 of the nations. And how does that conquest work? Well, how does the kingdom of God grow? It grows like an explosion. God comes back and then it there's a big explosion and then everything's changed. No, that's not quite right. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's not like the, the mixing Mentos with Coca-Cola or whatever it is, you know, and then poosh, no, it's like a mustard seed. If there was a video of a mustard seed growing on YouTube, it wouldn't have very many views. But those Mentos, they're exciting. Boom, everything happens all at once. No. How, how was the uh, conquest of Canaan? It seemed like from the book of Joshua, uh, Joshua that it kind of like was all done in one generation. But if you look at the maps of, of, of what were actually conquered then, it, it wasn't much, you know, it was a bit of a patchwork of conquests. And those conquests went on over generations and generations. In the time of Judges, there, there was a reconquest by the pagans of the land and so on and each time and this is this is applicable just as applicable to our present day each time it was because of the people's apostasy from God from Christ as king that led to their that led to their suffering their political suffering their oppression the removal of their God-given rights you know so what I'm saying is according to God's word in First Samuel 8 God will not get us out of this predicament. And much more than that, God is the one who's put us in, the, in this predicament. God is the one who has appointed the rulers over us to be our, however, incompetent and stupid and maybe you don't like their haircuts and the way they speak and so on. But God has appointed them and uh, he, he will keep on ratcheting things up until we, we as individuals, Acknowledge the fact that Christ is king and we desire for the king to be brought back. You know, it was time to, to bring back the king. And this is not something we can do by seizing control, by violence or chicanery or something like that. No, the biblical principle is that there's a steady growth through the, through the generations. It's remarkable to think of, of what the influence of evangelicals were in the 19th century in for instance just take the repeal of slavery alone but 
there was the regulation of boxing from this cruel blood sport to something uh, to the to having the Marquis of Queensbury rules, something as trivial as, trivial as that, something as trivial as the outlawing of of cockfighting or whatever, uh, free trade, you know, you name it. There was a tremendous influence. It wasn't perfect, but it was tremendous. So I don't want to say everything I have to say in one episode, but I think the the, the nub of this message is that we will only, God will only answer our prayers if we will first, as individuals, first of all, and then as wider groups, families and churches and so on, acknowledge that Christ is King, that his laws apply to us as individuals, as families, as nations, and then we steadily, as the kingdom says, we grow first the blade. We're just looking, we're not looking to do everything in one generation. You know, God may be gracious and so on, but uh, uh, that's about all I have to say to you. I hope you find that encouraging. If there are any factual errors or theological errors, you can let me know. But um, things are serious at the moment. You know, it's no joke. Uh, but we've got to stop looking at the false solutions, uh, the, the false dawns. You know, I'm glad that that Donald Trump is in the White House as opposed to to <laughs> uh, Hillary Clinton. You know, and it's a mercy. And I'm glad we have Boris rather than Commie Corbyn. But. It's not exactly satisfactory, uh, the, the situations that our respective nations find themselves in. And the solution starts with you and me. It's a theological solution. And uh, and yeah, God will be faithful and answer our prayers. He will answer our prayers. He will give us and our children freedom. He will protect us during this this time of oppression if we, in principle, will um, will acknowledge that Christ is the king of the nations. He rules the nations now through his just laws. All right, enough said. God bless you all. This has been Christendom Northern Ireland. Lighting brush fires for Christian liberty in the minds of Ulstermen. Mm-hmm.